Welcome to the Path to Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Wes Barefoot, where it's my mission to help aspiring entrepreneurs and existing business owners take control of their lives and create freedom for themselves through business ownership. Each episode, I'll be exploring the strategies and tactics of other successful entrepreneurs that have created freedom in their own lives while sharing what I'm learning along my own path to freedom. I'm glad you're here. Let's drop in. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Path to Freedom podcast. Today, I'm joined by Colton Paulus, who's one of the founders of a new franchise that that I'm working with, uh, one that I'm very excited about. This is uh, unique. Uh, there's not anything else out there like it that that I'm aware of. So uh, this is Anchored Tiny Homes. And Colton, thanks for being here, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I look forward to it. Yeah, such a cool concept. I mean, we were kind of talking offline before we started recording you know, this is the type of thing when when people see it, you know, in terms of a franchise opportunity, I think a light bulb kind of goes off and they're like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Then they kind of have a lot of questions around, OK, well, you know, how would I own and, and execute this type of business if I don't have a, a background in construction or, or a contractor's license? We'll get into all of that. But, um you know, give us kind of the 30,000 foot view, you know, what is anchored tiny homes, the name's somewhat self-explanatory, but I think the way you guys present it uh, in terms of what exactly it is you offer is, is a little bit unique as well. Yeah. Do you want me to dive into the story of kind of how we got started first or tell the 30,000 foot view of give us Give us just a, a quick overview, but then definitely want to hear some of the, the backstory of how you guys got into the business and, and built it yeah. to the point it is today. Yeah, so Anchored Tiny Homes is an accessory dwelling unit builder. So basically think of ADUs as granny flats, mother-in-law quarters, backyard homes, really anything that's built in the backyard as a second residence on the property. So basically we are solving the housing need in this country by providing affordable housing for people that already have homes. Yeah. So that term ADU or accessory dwelling unit was one I was not familiar with before mm-hmm. getting introduced to you guys. So is that I'm assuming that's not something that you guys coined. That's that's a, a term that's been used to to talk about essentially tiny homes. Right. But specifically yes. for kind of an add on to an existing home versus a tiny home that might be mobile where it's built on wheels so you know you can transport it or you know a a tiny home on its own lot but not in addition to a a larger residence so that's really what you guys are specializing in is these these adus yep yeah so an adu is the correct terminology that you know the cities use the counties use that that's what the correct term is some people think of them as casitas granny flats mother-in-law quarters there's a ton of different names for them most people Uh, she sheds yeah most people don't know what adu is but that that's the correct terminology that the jurisdictions use got it okay so so with that, how did you guys get into to building ADUs and then ultimately turning this into a franchise business? 
Yeah. So we started this business in 2019. So it was actually July of 2019. I had a marketing company at the time and my dad's a general contractor. So he started uh, his general contracting business over 35 years ago. I actually saw an ad on Facebook with a competitor that was building tiny homes on wheels. And I'm always thinking of new ideas, very entrepreneurial, you know, just kind of thinking of what the next big idea is. So I actually went to my dad, I saw this opportunity on Facebook. And I said, Hey, do you think we could build tiny homes? And at the time it was tiny homes on wheels. So that's how the origin story of this business started was in 2019. I went to him. I said, Hey, do you think we could build tiny homes? Uh, He said, yes. He's like, Hey, I don't see a problem with that. I threw up an ad on Facebook, not Facebook, uh, not a paid ad. It was Facebook marketplace. I just posted a picture of a tiny home on wheels. And I said, Hey, we build tiny homes, um, ended up getting 300 inquiries within the first three days. So I was responding to tons of leads. You know, it was like this aha moment where I'm like, okay, there might be a business here. Proof of concept Um, just by the response. Yep. Yep. And that was tiny homes on wheels. So I ended up meeting with a couple clients, getting coffee with them, uh, told them the story. My dad's a general contractor, builds homes, builds garages, does some remodels. Um, the story really resonated with people and I ended up selling two tiny homes the first month. So this was, um, this was July and then ended up selling both of these tiny homes in August of 2019. So we actually did the tiny homes on wheels thing for, uh, the next year. And so we did really well. I think we did over 5 million in sales the first year, just building tiny homes on wheels. Um, you know, we were manufacturing them at my dad's property. He has five acres in Granite Bay. But what happened is, is the reason we pivoted to ADUs was in 2020, California came out with a law that said the local jurisdictions do not have the power to deny ADUs anymore, accessory dwelling units. So we started getting clients reaching out to us every week, multiple times a week saying, Hey, do you guys build ADUs? Do you build ADUs? And finally, there was a client that came into the office and I just said, yeah, we build ADUs. And I'm like, I just didn't want to deny it anymore. It was so often. I'm like, I'm going to figure out how to build an ADU. So what we did is we ended up working with this client, uh, told her the story. She came by the facility, saw that we were building tiny homes on wheels. And I ended up selling her a 400 square foot ADU. um, And we started designing them. And really quickly, we pivoted. So actually it was the end of 2020 is when we sold the first ADU and then 2021 we went all in it we started doing some advertising I think we spent like two thousand dollars a month on ads you know don't quote me on that but it was something really really low and we just got so many leads it was unbelievable um first year 2021 we ended up doing over 16 million in sales I think it was 16.7 million just selling ADUs. And then obviously, you know, the FDD for 2022 was 49 million. So it really was just like a hockey stick moment. Clients needed it and and it really resonated with people. Yeah. Well, and and may not be in the the FDD yet, but I know I've heard what your 2023 numbers were too. And, and that hockey stick just, Mm -hmm. just continued. So we, we refiled actually. So it was a trailing 12 months, uh, November 1st, 2022 through October 31st, 2023, and it's 88 million. So a couple of questions there. Number one, you know, when you first had the idea, so, so you guys pivoted away from the, the mobile 
yeah. tiny homes completely, right? So that's not not a part of what you guys are focused on at all today. No, ju- we just specialize in ADUs. We fully pivoted uh, really right after the demand we saw from ADUs. Yeah. So, so you alluded earlier to, you know, you guys are helping to solve the the housing problem in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Elaborate on that a little bit because, you know, I, I think it's important for people to understand just why there's so much demand yeah. for these ADUs. And and from my understanding, there's definitely a correlation with the housing market prices yep. of houses i mean there's there's all types of statistics how few people own homes these days younger yep. people can't afford to to get into even starter homes so talk talk to me a little bit more about that that correlation between the yep. housing crisis and demand for ADUs. Yeah. So depending on which article and which study that you read, there's anywhere from six and a half million to 10 million single family homes or homes that need to be built in the country. So you're talking millions of homes that were behind really, which started in 2008 when builders weren't building homes, the market yeah. crashed, and we're just in this catch up game where we can't keep up with the inventory. Yeah. So we're not going to get there with single family homes. There's going to need to be an alternative of apartments, duplexes, you know, creative ways to build. And ADUs is a massive way that that happens. Because what happens is, is there's not, you don't need new land and you don't need new developments for these, for this inventory to increase. You're building in the backyard of an existing home that already has sewer, already has water, already has electricity, it's already developed. So it's a true way to scale the housing inventory quickly and efficiently. Yeah, much, much more quickly, I imagine, when you don't need to get into to permitting and yep. you know, sewage and water and and everything that that goes into that. Yep. And I imagine it's it's you know, obviously it's fulfilling a need for the homeowner currently, but I also imagine it's adding to their property value. Yes. Right. Should they, you know, decide that they want to sell the property down the road, um, which, which is attractive to any homeowner. So, you know, you listed off a few of the, the common purposes that these ADUs that, that you see them used for. Would Mm. you say there's, there's one that's like the most common request that you get, you know, Mm -hmm. mother-in-law suite, or or is it really just all over the board, depends on the homeowner and and what their needs are no i would say we we have it broken down pretty uh you know pretty detail oriented and almost 70 percent of our client is the aging parent demographic so the kids own a property you know say they're married they're mid 40s and the parents are 70 75 and they either can go to a care facility uh they can rent an apartment or build an ADU. And most people are electing to do the ADU route because they're close to their family. They're in the backyard. If something happens, they can take care of them. It's adding value to the kid's property, right? So they're putting, let's say a $200,000. Yes. Whereas if they go to a care facility or they rent an apartment, they're just throwing that money out the window. Whereas this, if they finance it, let's say they finance a HELOC for 200 grand. Well, the payment is anywhere from 1600 to 1800 bucks well in most markets especially in more expensive areas you know you can't rent anything for close to 2000 2500 so it really helps you know it helps save money and add value to their property 
Well, and, and it's a lot less than senior care is in most instances, like to, to send your parent to a facility of some sort, probably more yeah. comfortable for the parent as well, right? Being at yeah. home, close to the family. Um, I, I got to imagine that's far more enjoyable for the the elderly parent. But yeah, I think the key thing there is, in addition to all of those things, it is an actual investment, right? So, you know, you're taking 200, 250 grand, investing it into an asset that's going to appreciate over time versus, you know, you put money into a, a care facility for your parent. Sure, that money is going to a good use in terms of it's providing care for your parent, but you're never going to see any tangible return yeah. on that money. That's right. So, so yes. that makes a lot of sense. But then in addition to that, you're seeing people use it for offices. You're seeing people use it for, mm -hmm. uh, you know, pool houses, I would imagine. I mean, what are some of the other yep. common examples that you see? So it's close to 70% for that aging parent or family demographic. It's about 20, 25% for investor. So not big wow. wig investor. Sometimes actually people live in the main house. Right. And then they just rent out the space in the backyard and build yeah. an ADU to supplement their mortgage. Sure. Um, and then sense. the remaining is offices, kind of a wealthier client or uh, pool houses. So majority yeah. is investor or aging parents. I think a podcast studio would be cool. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Turn, turn it into a dope, dope podcast studio. Um, so when did you guys decide to start franchising it and what drove that decision to franchise it? Because clearly you guys without franchising and, and maybe let's back up a little bit as you shared some of your your growth trajectory and revenue numbers. Yep. What what area, what part of the country were you guys operating in to generate those types of numbers? Yeah, so the 88 million that you'll you'll see in the FDD is um, Northern California. So the Bay Area, the North Bay, the South Bay, the East Bay, and then our headquarters is in Sacramento. So really everything in between from Sacramento all the way to the Bay Area, we service currently at the corporate level. It equates to... It's either 46 or 49 territories. I can't remember off the top of my head every time, but somewhere between 46 and 49 total territories okay. for that 88 million. Okay. Yeah. Very impressive. So so what drove the decision to to franchise it? I mean, from the way you've told the story, you know, it it took off faster than than you guys yeah. imagined it would. I can I can only imagine that franchising it was not part of the original vision. Yeah you know, when, when you started the business. So at what point did you say, okay, this thing could be really big and we think franchising is the right direction to go in? Yeah. So what's funny is, is I was the original sales rep for the company, right? So in 20, the beginning, um, it was actually like May or June of 2021. Um, I met with a client he was a big time investor. He had like 40 rental properties and I was trying to sell him on ADUs. Um, we ended up not selling them on the ADUs, but he mentioned to me, he's like, Hey man, I love your business model. I've been in the franchise world for over 20 years uh -huh. and I've been on the consulting side. I've been, you know, doing multiple things. You guys should have a conversation with this guy that I know that, you know, helps scale franchise brands. Okay. And we ended up, and basically what had happened is I'm like, I never even knew about franchising. I didn't know what it was. I had no yeah. clue. I'm like, I think I thought just 
pizza shops sure. and burger joints were franchising. I didn't know service brands did. Yep. So I got obsessed and started researching like crazy. What is a franchise? How do you franchise? And I ended up taking the meeting with this guy. It was a franchise sales organization mm-hmm. and we just re- weren't really set up to, to hire them at that time. But we ended up hiring attorneys and just really trying to go through the process um, of franchising. It was an aha moment because I realized we always had big dreams. We wanted to scale. I just didn't realize what franchising could do for that scale. And you're keeping that local feel, which is huge to us. And I want your listeners to understand that we didn't want to be this giant corporate business. We wanted to keep that local person in markets that actually are part of the communities, you know, to scale our business. Well, and that makes such a big deal. And I would argue, especially in, you know, any of these service-based businesses, because so much of, you know, the success that a a franchisee or, or say a market can have is relationship driven, right? Yep. And so, yep. you know, you guys certainly have the skill set and the drive <laughs> to where you could have continued growing this thing and expanding across the country without franchising it. But, you know, it's either you traveling all over the place or in all likelihood you're hiring salespeople or market managers of some sort that just aren't going to have that, that ownership, that skin in the game. Um, that's right. So I, I totally appreciate the, the, you know, desire to have that local fill and touch in, in every community that you're operating in. And it's also, you know, a quicker way to scale, right? If you're doing it the right way through franchising, doesn't require as much capital long term mm-hmm. um and a way for cuz this is the type of thing where you know it seems to me like you guys are early adopters in this yeah. ADU market at least from a organized sophisticated approach right i'm sure every market's going to have you know some contractors that would say they specialize yeah. in tiny homes or ADUs but probably pretty small, pretty, you know, independent, a lot of them probably not as sophisticated in terms of how they market, how they operate the business. So seems like you guys are are the the front runners in this space right now. So another good way to make sure you kind of maintain that edge and don't let someone else kind of overshadow you. Yeah, we're, we definitely have the first mover advantage. So, which is why we want to move really quick. We have the systems in place to scale, right? Like our business blueprint, our operational system, it's, it's bulletproof, right? Like it, obviously there's hiccups in any business, but it really is bulletproof. And we just want to share it with as many people as possible. And, you know, most contractors, even in California, they don't just specialize in ADUs. They'll do right. remodels, they'll do additions, they'll do all kinds of different stuff. And we have a huge niche to say, this is what we do. And this is the service we provide. We specialize in it. Even just the fact that you're marketing it, right? I, I bet there's yeah. a lot of contractors out there that last year they did 10 tiny homes or 10 ADUs, but that's not how mm-hmm. they're marketing themselves. And as more mm-hmm. and more people are searching for these types of options, just the fact that you're out there marketing yourself as a company that specializes in that, that's at least going to get you to the table. Right. And then it's the, our our Austin, Texas, not, not to cut you off, but our Austin, Texas franchisee sold their first one a month ago. 
And the lady literally told her, our franchisee, oh, I've been looking for ADUs for nine months. I didn't know there was a company that specialized in it. And she's like, well, we just launched and this is what we're doing. So there's a demand in all these different markets and people aren't building these ADUs. Yeah, yeah. It it makes a lot of sense. Well, I told you I was talking to our builder. Uh, We're building a house right now and he's a, you know, custom builder. We live on the coast. So, you know, mostly waterfront marsh type properties, builds three, four or five houses a year, depending on the year. But, you know, I, I was telling him about you guys and he was like, yeah, dude, makes all the sense in the world. Um, he's like, nobody's specializing in it. The demand is growing, uh, and not likely to slow down anytime soon. Um, so, so that piece of it makes a lot of sense. And to me, clearly, you know, you guys have to have some pretty strong systems and processes in place just for you guys to be able to scale there in Northern California, the way that you did in such a short period of time to go from yeah. five to 14 to, you know, 40 some to, to 88 million, you know, in yes. a period of what, five years or less, yeah. uh, you don't do that without building some systems and processes along the way. And, you know, look, as, as you guys are, you know, newer to franchising and, you know, figuring that side of it out, I'm sure there will be some learnings along the way and some mm-hmm. kinks that you have to work out. But, you know, it sounds like there's a pretty solid foundation there that, yes. you know, your franchisees are able to plug into and and really yep. build off of. Yep. So, you know, I know, I know how franchise buyers think when they look at a new opportunity and typically it's excitement and then they start trying to poke holes in it. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to me, some of the questions that that someone's likely to have top of mind, you know, first one being sounds great, makes a lot of sense, but I'm not a builder. I'm not a general mm-hmm. contractor. So what would that look like if I wanted to, to own this franchise? I'm going to go out on a limb and say that you guys would probably prefer your franchisees to not be builders or contractors that that's actually what i was going to say is surprisingly people are shocked when i say this but we we desire them not to be builders because a lot of times builders and i'm not turning them away i I would highly highly you know with open arms allow a builder into our ecosystem the problem is is a lot of times they have their own way of doing things yeah and and they they get stubborn on no this is how i've always done it and it's like no we scaled a business from zero to 88 million in four years please just follow the system and so people that aren't builders are willing to follow the system a lot more and lean on us for that help to scale their business. So we actually welcome it. Like our, our rock star franchisee right now, right out of the gates is, is a guy from Austin, Texas. Um, obviously I can't say how many he sold because it's not in item 19, Yeah. but I mean, he's going to have an incredible year this year. Like he's hitting it out of the gate and he was a VP of sales for an insurance company. Right. Yeah. So like that's, who's going to really succeed at a high level is someone who either hires a sales rep or a sales skill set right away and they're an operator or vice versa. They have that sales background. Yeah. Makes sense. So how then does that non construction background, non contractor franchisee execute on the actual construction? Cause these are not like 
prefabricated houses no. that you guys are building in a central location and shipping all over the country. They're stick built on site. Yep. Correct. Correct. Yes. So, 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 so they're partnering like? with local general contractors. So, you know, there's basically three buckets of this whole thing. There's design, permitting and construction. We have a national partnership with a company by the name of permit flow, where they submit all of our franchisees permits. Um, and they're excellent. They have, they're a tech company, you know, behind the scenes, everything's tracked, everything's managed. So we're taking the permitting side off of the franchisees. Then they have to partner with architects and designers on the front end, right? And they're hiring an expert to do that. We just, we call it the white glove service, right? So we provide the white glove service to the customer and you're hiring experts in each category to get the work done. So you're hiring an architect who knows how to obviously design plans and submit plans to the building department. Yeah. You're partnering with permit flow on the franchise or on the um, permit side of things. <clears throat> and then you're partnering with multiple builders in the local area to actually fulfill on the build of the units. And you're just overseeing the process with our proven formula. Yeah. So, so really from the franchisees perspective, you know, it's, it's assembling a good team, right? Even though yep. not everyone on the team is necessarily a W2 employee, but it's assembling a good team contractors that, you know, are going to do good quality work uh, that you can rely yep. on, et cetera. Um, and then it's really a sales and marketing game. It sounds like. Yes, that's yeah. right. That's right. That's the um, game. I mean, that truly is the game because it's a, it's a 250 to $250,000 product. It's not easy to sell, right? But you got to yeah. sell the dream. You got to sell the value and you got to, you got to help them get financed. Right. Um, so that's the name of the game. Big time. If you're listening to this podcast, then there's a good chance that you're looking to create more freedom in your own life. There's also a good chance that you realize that owning your own business can be a great way to take more control of your livelihood and create more of that freedom that we're all looking for. Also, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you realize that I specialize in franchise ownership. In addition to owning franchise businesses myself, I have a franchise consulting firm, Path to Freedom, where I help people navigate what is typically an overwhelming process of understanding franchising, identifying specific franchise companies that could be a fit, and then conducting the due diligence in a thorough and efficient manner with those franchise brands. My whole purpose here is to leverage my experience working for franchisors, owning franchises myself, and how we've been able to use that to create more freedom in our lives and help you determine if that could be a path that makes sense for you as well. So if any of this sounds interesting, if you've considered business ownership in the past, whether you've explored franchising specifically or not, I'd love to connect with you. I'd love to learn more about you and what it is that you're working towards in your life and determine if I may be in a position to help. A great starting point is the link below in the show notes, which will take you to a short form to fill out and you'll receive a free copy of an ebook that I've put together, The Seven Steps to Freedom Through Franchise Ownership. That'll also get us connected and I'd love to set up an introductory call where I can explain a little bit more about the process that I use to help people determine if franchise ownership could be a great way to start charting their own path to freedom. So click the link below in the show notes, receive the ebook, 
and let's get connected. I'd love to hear from you. Yeah. So I assume most people are financing this. Yeah. When they yeah. do it. Yeah. Yeah. Even even people who have the cash are electing to finance because the payment pays for itself if they have a renter in there or vice yeah. versa. So yeah, most people are financing. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so what what type of infrastructure does a franchisee need? to launch the business. They need to have their general contractors kind of lined up. Mm -hmm. I assume that's something you guys are positioned to help or, or assist with, at least in terms of guidance. Hey, this is kind of what you're looking for in a general contractor. I think I'd heard you guys talk about, you know, before a franchisee launches, they need to take some of the, the plans that you have, get pricing, from a yes. number of contractors in their market so they can start establishing their local pricing, yes. uh, make sure there's some, some consistency there. Yep. Assuming the franchisee is comfortable in that kind of sales role. Yes. What else do they need in place in terms of team members? Do they need a, a physical location of any sort? Like what else is needed in order for them to say, all right, we're open for business. So a lot, I mean, obviously it's, it's how many territories they buy and how much ad spend and lead flow they're going to have. Yeah. But out of the gate, you know, to give you two sets of context. So we have a Salt Lake city franchisee. He was our first guy that started a uh, guy by the name of Jim. And he, he did everything from day one. He did the sales. He managed the design process, submitted the permits and then managed the general contractor. Now he only had a, you know, maybe five to seven builds going on in total at a time. Mm -hmm. So you can do it solo if you buy, you know, a couple territories. And then the flip side, we have a Orlando, Florida franchisee that just launched yesterday. Uh, they have three sales reps. They have two project managers. They have like seven general contractors lined up. You know, they, they want to scale this thing pretty quick. They're ready to roll. So ready to roll. So there's, it's really how, how much you want to scale this thing and how quickly, yeah. but really it's, it's project managers and mm -hmm. sales reps. That's really it. How extensive is the design process? Cause I know like, if you just go to your website, you guys have plans for quite a few yeah. different sizes, styles. So is that pretty turnkey or is someone typically selecting one of those as like a starting point, then they're working with the local franchisee to tweak it, optimize it exactly the way that they want it. Yeah. I mean, we're trying to, over the last few months, push uh, at least a percentage of our clients into choosing the models because it just helps the production and the speed. Yeah. But our selling point is we are a custom builder. Yeah. Now, a lot of times, like you mentioned, they don't start from scratch and build it from the ground up and design all kinds of crazy stuff. Most of the time, they're taking an existing floor plan and moving windows, moving doors, maybe vaulting the ceilings, adding kitchen cabinets, you know, whatever it is to make it their own. But they're working off of an existing floor plan. So yeah. it depends on the client, but it can be pretty quick or it can last a couple months during that design phase if the client has a bunch of changes. Yeah. Well, it makes sense. I mean, because what we're typically talking 200 to what max, like 600 square feet here. So yeah, you can go like in California, we can go up to 1200. So, but oh, okay. most people 
our building anywhere from 400 to 800 square feet is kind of the okay. sweet spot where most people hover. Still, even with that 400 square feet, there's only so many different ways you can lay out mm -hmm. a 400 square foot tiny home or ADU. It's more just what are you putting in it yep. and and where. But at the end That's of the right. day, yes. it's kind of going to be a box, uh, <laughs> you know, with That's your, right. your That's right. four wall. You can't get overly creative with it, I guess, is is what I'm trying to say. Yes. Um, Correct. So, it's more on the finishing touches. Yeah vaulting the ceilings maybe increasing the wall heights those are most of the changes yeah yeah makes a lot of sense um so location warehouse any of that needed i mean i'm assuming mm -hmm. there's really no inventory component to this right because you're you just kind of laid out the design process so someone's signing off on design signing a a contract uh paying some sort of a deposit I assume, because this yep. is a big ticket yes. project, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, mm -hmm. So it's only after those things happen that now we're buying yep. materials. Now we're actually have some real cost other than marketing yes. cost, you know, into it. That's right. Yeah, there's no need for a warehouse, for a facility, for an office front. You can work out of your home to start because you're going to be meeting clients at their house yeah. to give bids, give a presentation, measure for utilities, and actually present the bid to them. Um, and then when it comes to, you know, kind of that upfront cost, the client is paying for each stage. So there's just a, there's a deposit, you know, you're collecting the money, then they will pay for the design meeting you know, pay for the plans, pay for the permits. And so they're kind of prepaying you. So then you can pay out your subcontractors, which is so important because that cash flow management in, in these types of businesses can kill you or, mm -hmm. or it can be phenomenal for you. Yes. Right. Yes. Um, <laughs> we owned an insulation franchise for a while, just sold it a few months ago. We did a lot of new construction and, you know, we we always had cash flow challenges because we were waiting on builders to pay us. Um, you know, now insulation typically much shorter cycle than you know the entire project, right? But yeah, you know, yeah. if you're constantly floating material costs and labor costs and all of that, and you know, it kind of eventually mm -hmm. it it catches up, but especially mm -hmm. that first year, uh, you know, it was we had to be very very diligent with yes. managing our cash flow, but we were always chasing down ARs. I mean, you yep. know, never anything less than six figures in in ARs in that business. And and it was just stressful. Um, so yep. you know, having yep. that yep. kind of predictable cash flow cycle, super important. Combine yep. that with the low overhead nature of the business where the vast majority of your expenses are variable and tied to to revenue that you're generating. Yes and the massive average ticket size it's pretty pretty interesting um yeah well what's know. funny too is you talked about it we're we're a builder right and and working for builders sucks so like insulate as an insulation contractor right i mean sometimes we have to withhold payment from insulation guys or from the the contractor for a couple weeks right well, it's not a massive deal, but it is to a guy that needs to meet payroll. So yeah, the cool thing is, is clients, not a hundred percent of the time, but most of the time they pay on time. 
right? They're just, they don't want to get their house leaned. They don't want to be in these lawsuits. So they'll, if the work's done, they'll pay the invoice typically within a couple days, you know, yeah. pretty quickly. Yeah. Well, if, if it's being financed too, um, that usually helps to keep things on time from, yes. from a payment yeah. standpoint. That's right. Um, so I want to, I want to shift gears a little bit. I mean, you know, you gave a really good overview of kind of how the, the franchise is structured. Um, actually one more thing before we kind of move away from this, because yeah. you guys are doing what I view as some really interesting things from a support standpoint for mm -hmm. your franchisees. Talk to me a little bit more about, you know, what the, the team behind the scenes, uh, supporting the, the franchisees, uh, is, is there to do. Cause it, it sounds like you guys, especially for a, a franchisor that's as early on as you guys are at this point in time, yep, yep. pretty robust support teams and, yes. and, you know, comprehensive support across the board. Yeah. So we have a team of over 70, uh, that are supporting our franchisees. We have, um, we've recruited a VP of operations from one of the largest home builders in the world, multi-billion dollar company. And he helped them kind of scale this thing. Um, we have business coaches that are in the field. We have, uh, a director of operations. We have, you know, uh, marketing support, sales support. So we really are trying to invest, you know, with our 88 million and, and profitability on the corporate side, we're pushing a lot of that into the franchise side so we can support our franchisees the right way. So like I said, a team of over 70 and we've poached some pretty high level names from, uh, you know, some pretty big builders. Sounds like it, but I, but it, it makes sense to me, right? You guys are kind of new, kind of edgy, this, this yeah. emerging category, you're the front front runners in it. Yeah. Clearly you guys know how to scale and, and are only getting started. I can see why it would be attractive to someone that's kind of been in this space, but mm -hmm. you know, look, there's a million traditional home builders out there. Mm -hmm. You know, you guys are, uh, are, you know, it's, it's new, it's unique. Um, yep. but yep. that's, that's cool that you guys are, investing the way that you are in infrastructure support you know very experienced people for some of these key supporting roles for your franchisees um one other thing i wanted to ask you about because i imagine this is a, a question that comes up and you alluded to some of this you know when you told the story of pivoting from you know the mobile tiny homes to adus which was when california yep. lifted some of the restrictions so this is the type of thing that's going to vary from state to state, maybe even mm -hmm. county to county. So, you know, we don't need to get too into the weeds, but generally speaking across the U S are, are most states at a point where there's, there's no real restrictions or, you know, hoops to jump through mm -hmm. if someone wanted to put an ADU in or, or, are there still some areas where it's, it's tough or a little bit of a gray area? What, because I know that's something yeah. you guys look so, at closely. Yeah, we we actually have a team that that they territory search and they research new laws all the time. Um, but so on the at the state level, there's only eight states that approve ADUs statewide. Now the other states that don't approve it at the state level, <clears throat> the local jurisdictions have the control and they have the ability to say yes or no. So I'll give you an example. This is kind of most cities and counties across this country. Salt Lake City, Utah, 
There's five major counties. Four of the counties allow ADUs and one of them doesn't. So Dallas, Texas, very similar. I think there's like 13 major cities or counties. I think 10 of them allow ADUs. So there is going to be a component, you know, I'm obviously not going to lie where there are cities and counties in this country that don't approve ADUs. Now, there's ways around it. Can't say on air specifically, but there's definitely ways around it. And there's ways that multiple of our franchisees have gotten around that. Yeah, and I imagine as time goes on, some of these areas where it's not allowed today, there's going to be pressure from the people that live in those areas, right? If you're yes. in yes. Salt Lake City and you live in the one county that doesn't allow it in the four other counties around you, you're seeing other people put these ADUs in, make these investments in their properties. You know, you're going to pressure local yes law uh you know politicians whoever it is you would go to right and i imagine some of it will start start opening up so but that's something you guys are are on top of and monitoring right so if yes if a prospective franchisee comes to the table if you guys see a big issue like hey your area might be too restrictive for this right now that's going to surface before Oh, you know, they've time. signed That's a the franchise first, agreement. And, yeah. So like, for example, if you send us a lead, right, um, the first thing we're going to do is research every city and county in that area. Now, we've had so many leads come in, we almost have the whole country done, right? So yeah, the so it's, it's pretty yeah. much, the searches are pretty much already done and we have a spreadsheet tracking it all. But um, yeah, that's the first thing we do. When someone's interested, we search, okay, what are the laws? Is there demand? Uh, are they being progressive towards allowing this and then we'll send a report to you know the team and then they'll send it to you for that to to be able to look into that makes sense so if i'm a general contractor and i wanted to get into this business of building adus Mm -hmm. what keeps me from just going out on my own and doing it I mean, nothing keeps me from doing that, right? But where, yeah, yeah, where's yeah. the real value from you guys? And I don't mean the question, you know, disrespectfully at all. Again, just kind of yeah, no, anticipating no. Yeah. questions that that prospective franchisees are likely yep. to have. This is the way I always explain it, right? You can totally do it on your own and, and you can try it. You can go on your own. You know, Tom Brady could have done it on his own as well, but he wanted Bill Belichick to coach him to take him to the next level. So if you're a contractor and you want to scale your business, we can help you and we can teach you how to do that. If you want to be the best, if you want to build a few ADUs a year, that's fine. But if you want to do what we've done or close to what we've done, you know, the greats welcome coaching and welcome that feedback and that partnership, right? It's not like you're going to be working with us to help grow your business, right? And you'll have a team and a support system to help you do that. Yeah, I mean, there's so many examples across that. That's all very well put. There's so many examples across franchising where, I mean, look at the painting industry, right? Like how many national painting franchises are there where, you know, the average franchisee does well over a million dollars a year in revenue. You know, no one's doing anything all that proprietary. Like there's nothing to stop someone from going out and starting their own painting company. You know, I think one way people should think about 
franchises and and plugging in with the right franchises it just gives you the ability to run faster right that's right you're yes. going to you're going to learn faster you're going to ramp up quicker you're going to avoid mistakes and and then you mentioned partnership and community and that's mm -hmm. something that people overlook far too often not only the partnership with the franchisor but the the partnership with the other franchisees and being part of a community where you know you have like-minded people all over the country yep. building the exact same business that you're building right so your challenges are similar your frustrations are similar you know everyone's sharing ideas and best practices that's incredibly valuable and the franchises you know we've owned that's especially once you're you're kind of in the business and established yeah. and you know you have your feet underneath you you kind of get to a point where you don't need the franchise or as much in terms mm -hmm. of day-to-day -day support right you still need that's them right. for for certain things and and always will but yes. that that camaraderie amongst the franchisees i think is is really invaluable uh and it gets overlooked yes. um so that's look right. i want to I want to pick your brain on a couple other things. I know we're we're kind of you know running out of time here, but um, and first of all, tell people um, you you do a great podcast. You you post mm -hmm. a lot of good stuff on you know Instagram and and I assume mm -hmm. other platforms as well. So before it slips my mind, tell people yep. what your podcast is and where they can find it because I definitely want them to go check it out. Yeah, so I have a podcast called The Visionaries Table with Colton Paulus. Um, so you can search that on all major podcast networks and then just my first and last name on all social media channels. So Colton Paulus, um, you know, C-O-L-T-O-N and then P-A-U-L-H-U-S, Instagram, TikTok, you name it, I'm on all of them. Cool. And we'll we'll post all that in the show notes to make it easy for people to find. But, cool. you know, so I've been following some of it and I think you do a really good job of you know, sharing some of your experience, talking to other successful entrepreneurs, uh, you know, things like mindset and, you know, what it's going to take to be successful as an entrepreneur. And so I'm curious from your experience over the last four to five years, because, you know, you mentioned you, you had a marketing business before, you know, you've always thought kind of entrepreneurially, yeah. but I'm guessing, you know, you never had a business doing 80 million plus a year in revenue. And that happened no. pretty darn quick, right? So yes. like, what are some of the shifts that, that you've had to make to allow yourself, you know, from a, from a mindset standpoint, from a skill set standpoint to keep up with the growth that the companies had? Yeah, well, that I think I think I think it makes total sense. I think personal development is a huge component, right? There's a guy, I mean, everybody knows who John Maxwell is, but John Maxwell calls it the law of the leadership lid, right? Well, our business is growing rapidly, right? Well, it can only go as far as the leadership team, right? So if I'm stuck here and the business wants to continue to grow, I'm going to put a limit on this company, right? So I'm always making up in my mind, like, I need to get better because we have a multi-billion dollar business opportunity in front of us and I want to see that come to fruition. You know, I want to help hundreds of franchisees make a lot of money, change their life, change generations of their family line. 
and and we want to build a massive company. So I believe it starts with daily, consistent, repetitive activities in personal development and growth, and then getting around the right people. So I'm a big, big believer in reading podcasts like we're doing here, you know, taking courses, paying for coaching, all the stuff that can help you take your life to the next level. I'm a big, big proponent of that. <clears throat> Yeah, what are what are some of the things that that you do on a daily basis that that you would say has had some of the biggest impact for you to continue to grow as as a leader? Would it be the coaching? Would it be the reading? Like what mm -hmm. if you had to pick one or two things? Uh, you had to eliminate everything else. What would the one or two things be that that you would keep in the? Daily I'd routine? I'd say I listen to at least one book a week on Audible. That's yeah. that's one of my biggest things. Is I'm constantly reading books. Sometimes two or three. Two point um, speed. Yeah, two point speed. Yep, yeah, yep. So them at half the time. Yeah, that's a huge thing. Um, and then getting in close close proximity to winners. That's a huge thing for me. And that's what the benefit of franchising is, is, you know, we can call ourselves winners, but at the end of the day, we've done this, right? We've built yeah. almost uh, an $88 million business that's gonna grow even more this year. So you're getting in proximity to someone doing it at a high level. And that's what I've done time and time again is get in the right rooms of people worth $300 million, 400 million, who've sold their company for half a billion, right? I wanna associate myself with those people. So I'd say reading, and listening to audible and then getting in the right rooms with the right people to learn from do you have one book that you could point to to say that's been the most impactful for you over the years i know that's a hard question i'd have trouble answering that question but curious if uh yeah i mean it's I, I hate to do the cliche book but so i would say if, if we don't go cliche the slight edge it's such a simple book okay. such a simple concept but it's called the slight edge. And it's basically just the power of daily consistent activities over a long period of time. And that's what actually gets results. And then the second one is think and grow rich because I just think it, it all starts with your ability to think you're worthy and to think you can accomplish it. You know, that's yeah. where it all starts. That, that was another thing I was, I was curious about. Have you, have you had any moments, you know, as you guys have experienced this massive growth so quickly, any, any moments of self-doubt, any imposter syndrome, like, has there been a time where you're like, whoa, I, I don't know if this is getting beyond me. Um, you know, yep. Yep. if it were me, I can only think I would, I would have some of those thoughts at times every day i'm like i look around i'm like are they gonna are we gonna figure out the truth here like what are, what are we doing here right so right. it's something i have to battle but i think it's it's what keeps me humble right like i yeah. i don't necessarily think i'm too good for this right i want to grow i want to learn i want to listen to other people who have done it and um i'm just you know i'm a i'm a i'm a believer right and so i believe yeah. I believe I was created for this, right? I believe like this was actually my calling to do this. So I'm just welcoming all the growth and all the opportunity that comes my way, but it happens all the time. I'm like, are they, I'm looking around, like, are they going to figure out who I really am? Like, not like character wise, but just like, am I even qualified to do this? That happens right. all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, cool that you're aware of that and, and humble enough to, like you said, be a, a constant learner, surround yourself with people that, you know, have accomplished things that you're yet to accomplish, but, but aspire to, 
Um, you know, and you mentioned yes. being a believer. That's that's something else I wanted to, you know, give you a chance to to speak to a little bit. Um, because I know the the name anchored tiny yes. homes stems from from your belief. Yep. If you look yep. at the logo, uh, it's an anchor, but there's there's also a cross, cross. you know, kind of tied into yes. it. So um do yeah. you want to expand on on that or did I get that? Yeah, did I get that right? No, that that's you said that perfectly. So that that's who we are. So it's a family business. It's me, my dad, and my brother. Uh, we started this business in 2019, um, and and we're all in Christians, all in believers, you know, in the workforce trying to do this the right way. But the name actually stemmed. Um, me and my wife were at a coffee shop one day. And I was listening to a podcast and we're like, gosh, what should the name be? We thought like mighty tiny homes. And we just were thinking of different names. Yeah. And then she had a blog that was titled anchored and we're like, why don't we just choose anchored? And it was like this aha moment where we're like, Hey, this is who we are. This is what we stand for. You're not going to find it everywhere on our website. Right. But behind right. the scenes, this is who we are is we are believers. We want to do right by people, community by community. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Such a cool story. You know, love that that this is a family business. Love that you guys have had so much success, and and you're clearly poised for continued success and and you know a lot of uh, growth going forward. Um, and love the fact that you know you guys are open uh, about the fact that you're believers. You're proud of it. You know, you you tie it into your branding, you know, you're not out there preaching to everyone or, you know, trying to shove it down people's throats, but you, you're just being open. Hey, this is who we are. Right. And, you That's know, right. we, we want people to know who they're partnering with, just like we want to know yes. who we're partnering with and, you know, beliefs, religious beliefs aside, like that's how franchising should be done, right? At the end of the day, it's a partnership. That's when it works. It's also where it breaks down when it doesn't work is, mm -hmm. you know, the the lack of a partnership, the lack of trust, lack of transparency. So um, I'm I'm yeah. stoked for for you guys. It's it's, uh, you know, a very cool, very inspiring, um, you know, story. And uh, I'm excited to uh, have had the chance to to get to know you and the brand a little bit excited to be in a position to introduce people to you as I continue to work with people that are exploring franchise ownership. So um, Colton, man, thank you so much for, for making time to, to be here on the podcast. Um, again, we'll, we'll link your podcast company website, social media handles, all of that in the show notes. We want to make it as easy as possible for people to, to find you. And, and for those listening, highly, highly recommend, you know, go check out Colton's podcast, everything he's, he's putting out from a content standpoint. Um, it's good stuff. And I follow a lot of people. I listen to a lot of, a lot of podcasts and, uh, I've really enjoyed the, the stuff that I've heard that, that you've put out. So keep up the good work on that front as well, man. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me on. And, and hopefully I added some value. Absolutely, man. No doubt about it. Thank you so much. This was uh, Colton Paulus with Anchored Tiny Homes. Thanks for dropping into the Path to Freedom podcast. That's a wrap. Thanks for joining me today and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you'll know when a new episode is released. You can also check me out on my website at www.path2 
frdm.com. And if you want more information about franchising or just want to say hello, feel free to contact me at Wes at Path, the number two frdm.com. Thanks again. Now go drop in.